ready to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord and give him praise. So let's give him praise this morning. It's a wonderful day to lift up the name of Jesus, the mighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end, the Prince of Peace and the bright morning star. Father, we just thank you this morning for allowing us to wake up, to breathe this air that we breathe. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come into your throne room and give you praise, Lord. I thank you, God, that you have blessed us mightily, God. You have constantly and always been there for us. You are faithful and wonderful, God, and we glorify your holy name. Thank you for taking us out of the miry clay that we was in. Thank you for, for, for giving us life, Lord, God, that we, we was living in death and we was living in sin. But, Lord, you brought, you brought us out of that and you gave us new life new life God thank you for your mercies that are new every morning God thank you for your mercies that are new every morning Lord
God, you're the Lord of our hearts. You're the Lord of all. And it's because of you, Father, that we even have breath in our lungs. It's because of you that we even can breathe this morning. It's because of you that we woke up this morning. It's because of you that we had the strength in our body, Lord. So we pour out our praise. 
You know, right now, I I picture the very first time walking into his presence in heaven. And every 
everything that you've seen up to that moment, everything that you've heard, just flies right out the window, <laughs> if I can put it that way. Because there he is. And everything that you said, when I see him, I'm going to say this. And when I see him, I'm going to do this. When I say him, I, you know what? You, you just forget all, all of it. <laughs> and then I see you just coming. Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. You're the one my heart adores. Come on. Jesus, we love you. Don't you know he loves this part? This is this is ministry unto him. It's singing a love song to the lover of our soul. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. You. Heart adore. Make it personal now. Jesus, I love you. Love you. Oh, how I love you. Love you. You are the one my heart adores. Jesus, I love you. Come on. Jesus, oh, I love you. You are the one my heart adores. Come on, come on, church. Come on, enter in. Enter into that holy place. Enter into that personal place. Heart my heart adores Jesus I love you Jesus I can see, I can see it, I can see it's walking in and falling down and just singing those simple words. And the angels are in awe and they just step back. It's like they just step back because the Bible says there's a song of the redeemed. And only the redeemed can sing that song. Angels haven't been there. <laughs> they, they've heard and they've watched. But 
Now they're in awe of those who are before the throne. They've stepped up like angels take your place. <laughs> You've been around the throne. It's our turn now. Step back. We've got a song we're going to sing. And it's so simple. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. My heart adores you. God, if it wasn't for your love, Jesus, I couldn't even be here right now. Father, what love, the Bible says, that you have lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. Can we just sing that one more time? Jesus, we love We love you, Lord. The scripture says that because we are the children of God, because of what Christ has done for us, that we can enter boldly before his throne of grace to find help in time of need. And you know, we usually have a moment in our morning service where we take up time to corporately agree in prayer. And I just have one thing this morning, and that's families. We've been praying a lot for families and restoration of families and reconciliation of families. And God's working. He's doing it. But I know that Thanksgiving week is a big week and, you know, a lot of family things. And and I, honestly, you know, I, a lot of the holiday movies and stuff, I, I'm surprised. I've noticed several of them start off with differences in families and all of a sudden they're reconciling at the end, you know. And I'm like, look, even the movie people figured it out. The families need to be reconciled and put together. And I want us to take a moment to, to agree in prayer together for the healing of hurts, reconciliation, and restoration for healthy families. When I say healthy, I'm talking about emotionally healthy families. Can we pray together right now? Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And because of what he did on the cross and through his death and burial and resurrection, 
We have life and we have been adopted into your family. Therefore, God, we can come as your children and come before you without fear and apprehension and know that we have an audience with you. And we pray together right now. We agree together, Father, even as you, Father, and your Son and the Spirit are one, that families are to be restored and healed and reconciled. That is your heart's desire. But God, we know that it is the choice of individuals to see whether that takes place or not. So we pray right now in this season, God, that you would begin to bring healing and bring time of agreement and time for breaking down the walls of, of frustration and disagreement and hurt. The words that have been spoken in the past that have brought deep wounds in the spirit of individuals. God, let healing take place right now. Let us decide and determine that we will not give place to those words to those hurt feelings, we will no longer allow that poison to stay inside of us, that in the name of Jesus, we reject it now, we repent for harboring it, and we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Father, we declare healing and reconciliation and restoration begin to take place even with the hardest of hearts. Those who once knew you, that knew of you, Lord God, who have wandered away, draw them back. Draw them back, Lord God, and bring them to the foot of the cross and let them bow once again and acknowledge your loving favor upon their lives. We ask it not that we could boast, but simply knowing that we can ask and that we have the ear of the Almighty One who rules and reigns in majesty and power. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why don't you just turn to someone nearby and give them a high five or a hello or a shake their hand or wave at them or whatever in the name of the Lord. Glory to God. I know some people don't like that. I've had actually people come and say, Pastor, I don't like having to turn and talk to people. So that's you just, I'm sorry. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to see you this morning, this nice chilly morning, but at least the sun's out, right? Praise God. Praise God for the sun. <laughs> Amen. Glad to have you this morning. Oh, yeah. It's, it's that time of year. It'll be hot today and cold tomorrow. Hot today and cold tomorrow. Whoo! And uh, praise God. 
Pastor Tiger, why don't you come? He's got a, something awesome to share and this morning, and then we're going to get in the Word. Good morning. All right, so I know some of you guys are probably wondering what this is. Uh, so we have started a school of evangelism. I think we just finished our fourth semester, and the guys all, the, well, the ladies and the men, they all uh, finished it last Saturday and Friday night, we took them out on an outreach. And we did one earlier this week. But I just want to kind of share something that was on my heart, man. I was looking. Uh, so we have six graduates, but there's three of them couldn't be here. A couple of them are sick, and somebody's out of town. And I'm, I'm looking at this thing, man. And, I'm, and just as an evangelist, like your heart cries that people would be sent. Because Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest field. So I'm just sitting here looking at these things, and I'm saying, God, we need more people. Like, we need more people. And he said, he, he, I'm going to try to articulate what he shared with me. He said, don't judge what I'm doing by what you see. By a show of hands, how many people in here have been part of the evangelism class sometime in the past? So look around. The Lord is building an army. Not just here. There are other places in the city that, so I see a brother of mine, uh, Brother Marcus Trahan and his family, they came in. I, I attended another church with him, and I know he's a, they've attended an evangelism school at some time in the past. And there are people all over the city that God is commissioning to reach the laws. So this morning, we just want to honor those, well, the three that are here that graduated. We've got some trinkets for them. They all are very symbolic. Uh, we got a little pack of tracks we want to give them. Short testimony, one of the graduates, the youngest graduate we had in times past, her name is Sadie. She was six years old. And I would give them out tracks occasionally and say, listen, pray and ask God to give you direction on this, what to do with it. So Sadie's mom's like, well, you want me to do it with Sadie too? I said, absolutely. So they come back the next class and she said, well, we prayed and, and, and Sadie did something with it. I was like, well, what'd she do with it? She said, well, we went to the mall and she stuck it in the ATM machine. I was like, man, that was Holy Ghost. And so you're never too young. There's no junior Holy Spirit. You've heard that places. It's true. There's not. So we have a pack of trackets. Uh, I mean, tracks for the students that graduated. We also have some, these little key rings. Uh, I've told you guys what they were before. So Steve Hill graduated the first Brownsville Revival School of Evangelism, and this is what he gave them. These are 3D print copies of them. We have them because the, the, the truth of the matter is, the gospel, it is a lifeboat, right? It's a lifeboat. It comes in. It saves our lives. But when you get rescued by the gospel, you should become a life preserver. Your life should be used to go after the lost. You should be thrown to those who are drowning in sin and who are without your intervene, intervening in their life, without the Lord drawing them, they're going to go to hell. So we're giving those out as uh, just as a symbolic thing to remind them that we should be looking for excuses to reach the lost. We shouldn't be looking for excuses not to. We should be looking for opportunities and excuses to go out of our way to just extend the love to Jesus to somebody. We also have this 3D print. Uh, a buddy of mine named Matt, he, man, he, he blessed us with his talent. He made those for us. That's, it's a lion. It's just simply because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's a pretty piece, and you, know, you can put it on a bookshelf or whatever. It's just to bless them for their, their consistency. See, the only students that could graduate the class were the ones who came for every session, six weeks in a row. 
And it's not to say that the ones that, that had to miss, uh, they didn't have something come up that they couldn't help, but this shows consistency and devotion because that's what the gospel takes. Like it takes a person who is willing to pay a price, like a high price. Like it requires that you give everything to go after the loss and Jesus. And the last thing we have a certificate for them. It just uh, explains that they basically graduated from the class. So I'm going to give it to Miss Naomi. She's going to call them up. And y'all, as they get called, y'all give them a round of applause. Okay, so our first graduate is Ms. Sharon Morgan. Our next one is Kanan Morgan. And our third is Skylar Vaughn. And if y'all can come up so we can get a group picture too. Miss Sharon. We'll be starting another session in February coming up in 2023. If you guys are interested, we will have a sign-up sheet out there uh, at the first of the year. So if you guys are interested in being part of this, just being equipped to learn, to evangelize, just to do it, not necessarily that it's about going out in groups. It's about everyday encounters with people, just meeting people where they are, sharing the love of Jesus, and, you know, some water, some sow, but God brings the increase, and we want to be sowers, we want to be waters, and we want to be people who have faith that Jesus is moving in the earth. Amen. Miss Lenore Gotchaland, I didn't know how to say her last name, so I was afraid to even say her name, but she's one of the graduates. Then Miss Genebeth Como and her son, uh, Gabe Como. So they're going to be here next week. We'll get their stuff to them. God bless you guys. Praise God. That's great. See, I, I thought the lion thing... I. I didn't think about the lion tribe of Judah. I just thought by putting it out there, it would remind me to be bold as a lion. You know, every day, you know, going out, be bold. Be just a reminder, hey, I'm on the prowl. You know, because too many Christians are like, well, the devil's on the prowl. Hey, guess what? <laughs> Devil, the church is awake. <laughs> Hear the church roar. Come on now. Amen. 
Praise God. Praise God. Uh, just a reminder, I think it's next week is, is, is how Pastor Josh says, Coffee Sunday. And uh, so you don't want to miss that. Be here a little early for fellowship and take time. It's going to be great. I know a lot of people have family, families coming in, families going out and this and that. And some will be traveling. But we, we will be having service again uh, uh, Sunday. But reminder, there is no service this Wednesday. The night before Thanksgiving, okay? Because too many people are traveling. Too many other people got people coming in. Too many other people are cooking. Cooking, right? Amen. And uh, so just enjoy the night with family and friends and whatever. Be here Sunday. Uh, and uh, I've already had several people ask me, what are we doing in December? We're, we're worshiping the Lord and we're coming together. And, um, and uh, so we'll let you know what's coming up for Christmas because Christmas falls on Sunday this year. And people are saying, are we having services on the Wednesdays between Christmas and all? Yes, we're having services. And um, so anyway, we'll get to that at another time. I want to get in the message this morning, and this is not the message I intended on <clears throat> bringing this today because I thought, well, it's Thanksgiving, you know. And uh, Thanksgiving should be on thankfulness or gratefulness or whatever, but <clears throat> boy, I just couldn't get away from this. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of uh, really, really late last night on the way driving home from Marksville um, confirmed it. And um, I had a conversation yesterday. I was at a competition in Marksville Friday night and yesterday um, in that cold, cold weather. So if my face is a little red and shiny, that's what happens when you stand out in the wind all day. And um, But uh, I was having a, a conversation with a fellow uh, barbecue contestant and, uh, that I've become good acquaintances with. And he was telling me about a barbecue trailer that he's trying, he's been trying to purchase and he has, he's been having problems with the guy who's selling it and all that kind of stuff. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's such thing as a barbecue porch trailer. And it's like the front half is usually the kitchen or it may even have some living capacity in there or whatever. But then uh, the back half has a place for uh, their smokers and all that kind of stuff. And it's covered really nice. But they, they usually start somewhere in the neighborhood of 28, 35,000 and go up from there. And so anyway, he had started telling me about this a few weeks ago at another competition. And he, so he started telling me about how the seller is giving them problems and everything. But he made a statement that just hit me. You know, it's a statement that We've probably all said or implied at some point, but he made this statement about this trailer he's after, and he, and, and he thought he had it on the hook, and then the guy pulled it away from him, and so he said, I'm not going to get in a bidding war, you know, just back and forth. Anybody ever been involved in that where somebody's got something for sale, you offer them that, they tell you, okay, it's done, and then they come back two or three hours later the next day and go, uh, I need to change my mind or I'm thinking, rethink this or whatever. <clears throat> I know I have. But he made this statement. <clears throat> he said, I'd do anything to get my hands on that thing. Speaking about that trailer. He'd do anything. And I knew where he was coming from because a few weeks before we were in Diamond Head, Mississippi, 
and we had a storm hit right at the turn-in time uh, for competition meets and stuff. And we were in the marina at Diamond Head, Mississippi. We were expecting light rain. And for 10 solid minutes, we had 77-plus mile-an-hour winds, crosswinds, straight-line winds, ripped everything to shreds. We had fire pits flying. Vendors' booths went over. A huge stand, music uh, pavilion stand with big color screen, giant screen, folded in half and went down. I'm telling you, and, and I have a burn on my arm that's scabbing over. People go, what'd you do to your arm? I was holding on to my dear canopies with three fire pits and the wind and everything, trying to salvage it. Long story. And so he had his trailer, and it ripped the awning off. And when we all pulled out, all these cookers pulled out, there were canopies and skeleton of canopies. There were RV awnings and everything laying all over the grounds because that wind had ripped it to shreds. And so he was like, I don't ever want to go through that again. And he said, I know this trailer, the way it's built, would withstand that. And so he said, I'd do anything to get my hands on that. And, and so I, he, and, and he reminded me of that storm, and I said, yeah, oh, Lord, I, yeah, that's one for the record book, son, I remember. And um, so he said, I said, well, I hope it works out for you. And so driving home late last night, I was thinking about this. I'd do anything to get hold of that. And it just hit me in a peculiar way because I thought, how many times have any of us said either the very same thing or something to that effect? I'd do anything to have that. I'd love that, man. I'd, man, if I could, I would do whatever it takes to get it. I really had never had thought about that statement before, but suddenly realized that when a person says that, they're implying to what end they are willing to go to acquire something. Now, some people say, I'll do anything, get my hands on it, and they'll do something illegal. But others will say, I'm not going to do anything illegal, but I'm going to push the envelope. I'm going to do whatever I, I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Whatever it is, they're implying, they would say, I do whatever it takes. And that reminded me of something I read years and years ago, and I went back through my computer this morning. And again, this was not the message I had. I had something about the 10 lepers. <laughs> it's a totally different thing altogether. We may go there some other time, but I, but I came across what was a summary by a college professor to his class on the history of Christianity. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is what he said. He said, Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship, and then it moved to Greece and became a philosophy, where it moved to Italy and became an institution, and it moved to Europe and it became a culture, and it came to America and became an enterprise. Now, when the professor said this, 
he looked out and several of his students had this puzzled look on their face. Like he didn't understand. And, and I think he probably was thinking enterprise. Well, all these young people are probably thinking Star Trek. Enterprise. To boldly go where no man's gone before. And so the professor brought clarity. He said, enterprise, that means a business. Okay? And so he said, after a couple minutes, uh, a young student, she, she held up her hand. And the teacher, the professor said he, he really couldn't, he was telling the story. He said, I, can't, I really couldn't imagine what her question was, thinking that my, cloak, my quote was very clear. It was obvious it had a linear progression. It went from here, was this, went to here, was this, went to here, you know. And so he called upon her and said, do you have a question? And here's, here's what she said. And she said, a business? And he said, yes. And she said, but isn't the church supposed to be a body? And the professor wasn't sure where she was going with that. And he goes, well, yes. And this is what she said. But when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? And the room went deadly quiet, just kind of like it is right now. You know, you were like, yeah. And the teacher, the professor said, nobody moved. Nobody said anything for a few minutes. He said they were stunned and afraid to make a sound because suddenly he said the presence of God flooded into the room and every student, including the professor, knew they were on holy ground. Now to the average church attending person in America today, that question slash statement will not even resonate with them. But for any person that calls himself a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, that statement can change your life today. Because the student's question was when a body, or statement was when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute shatters the pretenses of the average Christian. In other words, the average churchgoer just sees it as business as usual. In other words, on Monday through Friday, I go to work. On Saturday is my family day. Sunday, we go to church. Like, it's, it's something that's just etched into the calendar. It's, it's, it, it has lost the personal implication that it should have. And there's only one answer to her question, and it's obviously, yes, that's true. When a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? Yes, the answer is yes. But on any given day in the American church, especially Sunday, uh, the pews or chairs are filled with people who do not love God. Now listen to me, please. I'm not coming with a judgmental spirit, but how can we love him if we don't even know him, and I mean know him. Now, 
I, you can ask my wife. She's sitting right there. I told her going up to Marksville, I, you know, I said, I don't leave normally doing anywhere on my hobbies or anything. I said, this is the most important thing in bringing the word of God that God wants for us. And, and, uh, and I told her on the way up there that I had prepared things, something for Thanksgiving. I said, but something else has just been kind of crawling around inside. And I said, I'm not, com-. I said, I, I actually worked on it. And I said, but I'm not comfortable with it because it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It ought to be, you know, a joyous Sunday. And we ought to be, you know, thankful and grateful and all that kind of stuff. And you can ask her, I, that's what I told her. But I said, <clears throat> uh, I'm not comfortable with it. And so I knew I was coming home last night and, and um, uh, we were driving extra slow coming home, not because it was raining, even though it started to rain, but when I got to where we were at, I went unloading my trailer, my cook trailer, and I noticed that one of the leaf springs in the back had snapped. And, and uh, so I kept hearing this jarring, banging, clanging sound and and I saw it, and it was snapped and broke. And I said, okay, there's something else to be fixed now. And um, <clears throat> so I told my wife, I said, we're driving home slow. And I said, Lord, put an angel underneath that side of that leaf spring. And, uh, he, he can hold it until we get home. And so we're driving home, and we're on these back roads for a while. And I said, I really want to get on the interstate where hope, well, I say it should be smoother, but this is Louisiana. And, and um, but it should be smoother than the back roads, right? And so we're winding through. We come through this little one-horse town in the middle of the night. And here's a church on this side. I won't name the church or what town it was in. And, um, and here's what it said on their little sign. Our mission is to know Jesus. And honestly, I thought to myself, I almost said it out loud, but I thought, don't be critical. But I was still thinking it. (laughs) I said, that's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to proclaim Jesus to the world. If the mission of the church is just to know Jesus, I said, "We've, we've, we've missed the target by a mile. But then I thought, this is the way my mind works. Maybe your mind doesn't work this way. But one argument leads to another, to another. I love to play chess. I was in the chess club in, in high school and, and in college. I love playing chess because you got to think 10 moves ahead, you know, and 14 different possibilities. So when I'm, when I'm talking to myself driving down the road, I'm having these discussions. Anybody ever, ever, ever do that? And... Um, so then I thought, you, 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 your, your mission is not to know Jesus. Your mission is to tell people about Jesus. I said, that's what's wrong with the church in America today. But then I thought, but if the American church really came to know Jesus, they wouldn't be able to be quiet about Jesus. <laughs> And so now I've got this conflict going around in my mind. And, and then last night when I got home, I took a minute uh, to try and warm up after I, we unloaded everything. And, and, and uh, we, we were in a place that the, the Wi-Fi didn't work and there was sporadic cell service. And, and um, so I quickly just got online real quick to check my emails and stuff. And was, then the first thing popped up on my Facebook was the light and loss going 
group going out on Friday night and the pictures and everything. And I went, yeah, that's what the church is about. It's telling people about Jesus. I said, because you got to know these people love Jesus if they'd be out there on that Friday night when it's literally freezing out there. And I'm thinking, who would be out there on a crazy night like this? And then I remember when I used to do that when I was younger, we'd go out. It didn't matter what kind of weather it is, but the drunks were out there and the drug addicts were out there and people just lost looking for something. They were out there. And so I said, that's what it's all about. So it, anyway, all of this that I've told you took me back to the title is your love for sale and the statement by that student to her professor. And, and the question is, have we sold out our love for Jesus? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, 21 through 23, Jesus said, Jesus said, say Jesus said. This wasn't like, Paul or John or somebody, not that that wasn't important, but Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. What did Jesus mean when he said, I never knew you? Now, we have to understand something as believers and Christians, professed Christians, that our understanding of knowing and knowledge stems from our Western culture and mindset, okay? Which is, which is basically based upon Greek philosophical thought. You, you hear preachers do this all the time. And, and they'll say something and they go, no, in the Greek, that means this. And like, that makes it something supernatural, special. I mean, you know, there's a purpose for that. But I learned a long time ago, it doesn't matter what it says in the Greek. Just tell me what it means in English. And, um, but our, in our culture, and our mindset, we believe we have knowledge, and, and as, as an extension of knowledge, we believe we have wisdom. Can I tell you, you can have knowledge and not be wise? You can have all the PhDs on the wall and be dumb when it comes to wisdom. And then you can have no degrees whatsoever and be one of the wisest people in the world. Okay? But we believe, in our culture, we believe that we have knowledge and by, the, that, by that an extension of wisdom when we've collected information. Can I tell you that impartation of information by itself does not bring transformation? And we think that if we get more knowledge that somehow our lives will be transformed. But Knowledge without application and impartation in that manner, if, if I don't apply what I just learned, then it has no transformational power to bring change in my life. 
And so preachers all over America, at the end of service, you know what they tend to do all the time? They stand at the door as people are walking out, and, and, the, and, and people go by and they go, great message, preacher, great message, great message. Oh, boy, you really hung it out there this time. That was shucking the corn, baby. I mean, that was good. And I used to be in a church like that. And they got mad because I wouldn't meet them at the back door, at the front door as they were leaving. So I'd always have... Uh, well, you dismiss us in prayer, brother, you know, and they'd get up and pray and I'd run out the, to the door, you know, and I couldn't do that here because we got too many doors and, <laughs> and um, so, uh, but, um, and I'd stand there and, and they go, oh, that was great. That was great. That was great. That was, whoo, man, that was great. And so one guy had been watching and I said, it was, what was the best part? Uh, oh, man, there were so many of them. Just give me one. And he looked at his wife. What was that best part I told you, he said? She said, you didn't tell me nothing. I said, oh, Lord, now he's lying to me. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you know what that is? They're just sitting there going, let's get through this. Let's get through this. Let's get there. And, and I'm like, if I can't say something that will bring transformation, then let me just be quiet. I want application. I want my life to be changed. I want lives of people to be changed. Why? Because it's about people. It's about Jesus. And it's what he wants to do in people's lives. So a collection of information is not the same thing as knowledge either. In fact, in, in this day and age, we have information overload. I remember when the internet first came out, I was like, whoa, man, the stuff we can find. Now it's like, whoa, I can't handle anymore. Because there's only so much you can take in at a time. But in, in, in the Bible, Eastern culture is different than Western culture. And we forget that when Jesus spoke to the people of his day, he was speaking to an Eastern culture mindset. And this was brought out to me years and years ago as I studied under a rabbi who was a Messianic Jew, but a scholar in scripture. And I, I went to a class of his on, on the gospels. And the book that they used was the same book that I used in Bible college. I dug out that book, and it had all the notations and the margin from my teacher in Bible college. And as I listened to this, this guy teach, he erased 95% of all my notes and said, this is what this means. And what had happened was when I was in Bible school, he was teaching me through the Western mindset of knowledge but this rabbi was teaching me through the eastern mindset of present day Ju judaism in the days of jesus and i remember telling somebody years ago my life has been radically changed when i understood the culture and the people and the mindset that jesus was talking to and all my notations in the book were wrong because I had looked at them through this Western culture mindset. Now, I know I'm losing some of you, so let me just show you what I'm talking about here. 
In Western culture, we argue from the beginning to conclusion without regard to experience, okay? So we think, for example, let me give you an example. Let us suppose a question based upon the following two premises. And how many of you know if the premise is wrong, the answer is going to be wrong? Okay? But let's just do this together. I make a statement that wheat does not grow in cold climates. And then I make a statement in England has a cold climate. Question, does wheat grow in England? The vast majority of people with a Western culture mindset would say no. Because wheat doesn't grow in cold climates, England has a cold climate. And so then it follows that no, that wouldn't happen, okay? In an Eastern culture, the answer to the same question would not be no. They would say, I don't know, I've never been to England, okay? And we laugh because if you ask anyone who's been to England, they grow wheat there, okay? So we think that knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge leads to the answer, but it, it, it's, exclusive, it's exclusive of any actual input or experience that we have or somebody else has. And, and so experience trumps information when it comes to knowledge. For example, if, if, if uh, several years ago, many years ago now, my oldest granddaughter, Alexis, who's an associate missionary with the Assemblies of God and CCI out of New Orleans, um, when she was, I think it was second grade, they asked me to come to Westminster School because we had just come back from Israel a few months before, and they were studying um, Old Testament studies. And so she happened to tell them that her poppy had been to Israel, had a bunch of pictures and whatever. So they set it up for me to come in, and I, I gave a presentation with pictures of different places and things like that. And they had tons of questions and, and stuff for me um, that, that just the kids, the teachers. In fact, they ended up bringing several classrooms in and several teachers came in and, uh, because what I learned as a kid was, is, was still true, and that is that they would rather hear from someone who's experienced something than just to read it out of a book. When I was growing up, my father was in the military and the Air Force at that time was in a great transition and we moved from place to place to place to place, sometimes several times a year. And my dad always took us to wherever we were going, even if it was a short temporary assignment. One place was like three and a half weeks, one was six weeks, and then we didn't know where the final place would be. But my dad said, if I can do anything, I can give them an education they can't get out of a book. And so when I was growing up, and we would be studying geography, and for example, they, they were talking about Yellowstone. And, and I said, I've been there, got pictures. We had a bear try to crawl through the back window of our station wagon. And, and they're going, no, don't lie in school. And I had to write 500 times, I will not lie in school. I will not lie in school. I said, I'm not lying. Say it again, you're gonna write it a thousand times. I said, I have pictures. 
And I had a little brownie camera. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but there was a little camera. You'd look down like that, and you go click, and you take it, go get it developed. And so I brought pictures the next day and a statement from my mom that we had been to Yellowstone. So then right after that, we were studying the Grand Canyon. I said, I've been there, got pictures, you know. And the big one was when we were studying overseas world geography, they were talking about the Vatican and Rome and everything. I said, my dad's been there, got sick. He snuck pictures, but when nobody was looking, they said, now you've done it. You're telling a whopper of a lie. I said, I've not lied to you before. I'm telling the truth. And I said, I ain't writing nothing. Now I got in trouble for disobeying my superiors. But I went home and told my mom and dad, and my dad wrote a letter and sent it to the school. I gave it to the school, handed it to the mother superior. I said, here's proof. The next thing y'all know, my dad is bringing in slides of the Vatican for the whole school assembly, all the nuns, the priests, everybody, because they hadn't seen any of that stuff. And he had snuck a camera in behind the doors and even had a papal audience with the Pope at that time, the whole nine yards. Because what? Experience trumps information not if it's contrary, but, but it's just like if the information you give me is this, but the information you tell me from your experience goes beyond that. I mean, so deep and so real. I want to hear that. And so, now consider this concept when we refer to this idea of belief. Most people will say they believe something or someone apart from personal experience. I'm talking about the kind of belief that says, I can't talk you out of it, belief. Suppose a banker tells you, oh, I need 10 minutes of your time. And they call you in, they close the door and sit down. And you think, whoo, what did I do? And he says, I've got a hot tip on an up-and-coming investment. I know you got a lot of money in our bank, and I think you would want to know about this. It takes about 10 minutes to give you the upside on this, and, man, you get all excited. And it said, man, this almost sounds too good to be true. But my banker, he's the one who's telling me this. He wouldn't lie to me. I mean, you know, he's, whoa. And so now you're excited, and, and, and you go, well, how do I get in on it? What do I do? you got all my money. How do we transfer this? And the banker says, oh, all i got to do is this, and you got to sign this paper, and da 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 and about the time you're about to sign, he, 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 you look at the banker and go, man, I'm glad you told me about this. How much of your money did you put in? And the banker says, none. Who believes in the investment? Right? Paul the apostle wrote to young Timothy and he said, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. A large majority of professed Christians in America today would be hard-pressed to make that statement. The reason is due 
to the fact that the majority of Christians in America do not know God as the Bible designates knowing God, much less love him. Please hear me out what I'm saying here. The reason has to do with how they came to God, how they came to Christ. Most of us came to Jesus because of what we were told he would do for us. Okay? I came up during the Jesus movement that was during the hippie days and, and late 60s and early 70s. And, and uh, it was anarchy and rebellion and, and, and every kind of thing was going on in the world. And, 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 at the, and, and it was the peace movement and marching through the streets and, and uh, uh, sit-ins on college campuses and riots and uh, everything you can think of. But Jesus broke out on the streets too. The Holy Ghost broke out on the streets, but here's what I would hear over and over again. Man, try Jesus. He's the greatest high. And because that's, that was the other thing, because LSD was real big at the time. Man, man, drop a little LSD, man. It's cool, man. It's awesome, man. Blow your mind. It really would. And they'd say, try Jesus. He's the greatest high. And so we were promised things. For example, we were promised that he would bless us in life and take us to heaven when we die. We were told he would give us peace and hope. We were told he could restore our relationships. We were told that he could heal us. We were told that all the different answers to all the different scenarios, that he had the answer. And the truth is not that they lied to us because those things are true. The problem becomes when that is the reason that we follow him and continue to follow him. We follow him because of what he can do. And so it's no different than someone who marries another person for their money. They don't care if that person lives or not as long as they get their stuff when they're gone. Come on now. I'm telling the truth. I know this is not Thanksgiving material, but I'm telling you this is truth. And when Jesus asked what was the most important thing in life, when they asked him what's the most important thing in life, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We were commanded to love God. But more than that, we are invited to partake in a relationship with Almighty Creator who loves us unconditionally. But here's the thing, we are invited. We're invited to participate. We're invited to be in a relationship. But instead, the 21st century Western mindset church has made the kingdom of God into a business merchandising his anointing. And the question that was posed by that student to the professor that said, when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? Begs every Christian to ask, are we lovers of God or are we religious prostitutes? 
What is the difference between a lover and a prostitute? A lover does what they do because they love. A prostitute pretends to love, but only as long as you pay. So what would happen if God stopped blessing you today? What would happen? What would you do if God stopped blessing you today? We have to be honest. Are we a true lover of God? What would happen if he stopped his blessings? What if he never did another thing for us? Would I still love him? Now follow him when I love him. See, we sang it earlier. Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. You are the one my heart adores. Do we sing that because of what he's doing for us, what he's done for us, what he can do? Or is it because of who he is? See, the issue is not whether God blesses his children, because he does. The issue is the condition of our heart. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 says this, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Test yourselves. In the New Living Translation, it says this, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Is it real? In this day and age of knockoff products, the stuff that looks genuine, you find out it's not genuine. I remember when I was in Thailand and they took us to a market, they said, you can buy anything from fake Rolexes to Gucci purses to whatever. And they said, guarantee nobody at home can figure it out. And I saw a bunch of my minister friends going, boy, I'm going to blow my wife's mind. I'm bringing her home four or five Gucci bags, and I'm bringing home this jewelry and this and that. And I said, you better hope she don't figure out that's fake. And if, it is re and if she thinks it's real, she's going to go, where did you get the money to buy this? I'm like, dummy, take home one purse. <laughs> Going, baby, that's all I can afford. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. I mean, like, no, I didn't even do that. I'm like, my wife knows better. I've been on too many mission trips. But the word examine, the word examine means to test, to scrutinize, to analyze, evaluate, examine, to prove. I mean, this ain't just like scan it and look at it kind of thing. It's like put it under the microscope kind of thing and really zero in on it, focus in on it. Is this for real, for real, for real? So here's a few questions to ask yourself or ask someone else. Why do I follow Jesus? Do I love God without any conditions? 
Are you following God because, or Jesus because you hope that somewhere down the road he's going to save your marriage or save your loved one or save your children or, 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 or do some miracle or bring healing? Are his blessings in your life the gifts of a loving father or are they a wage that I expect him to come forth with? So you won't hear this preached in a lot of churches. It'll offend a lot of folks. And I know that some of you may be offended right now. But I would rather have you offended only if it causes you to examine in your hearts in regards to your true motive in following Jesus Christ. In the book of Jeremiah 17 and 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I know people who come to me go, I know I love them. I said, how do you know? I just, my heart tells me that. Oh, that's a red flag right there. <clears throat> There's got to be more than your heart just telling you. Why? Because the heart's deceitful. It'll lie to you. It'll tell you, overlook this, overlook this, overlook this. That's why the scripture tells us, don't be unequally yoked. But I love them. I had a couple one time many years ago. She came to me and she goes, I want to get married to so-and-so. And he had started coming to the church, but he had never given his life to Christ, never surrendered his life to Christ. He was a nice guy, I liked him. But she said, I want to marry him. And I said, both of you come into my office. They came into the office and I sat down and I talked to him. And I said, you be quiet. I won't talk to him. And I explained to him in the Bible what the Bible says about being unequally yoked with unbelievers. I said, read this. And he read it. And I said, do you know what that means? He goes, no. And I, so I told him. I went through the whole process. I said, she's asking for my permission for you two to be married. Now, I can't stop you from being married, but I'm wanting you to understand that she should not be even asking to be married to you because you, you don't know God from a knot hole in offense. He didn't get offended by that. He said, I don't. He said, I just come because that's what she wants. And I looked at her and I said, you know, but I love him. I pulled out a piece of paper and I had already typed it up. And it said, on this date, Pastor Bob warned me not to marry. And I said, write his name down, then you sign and date it, because I'm going to put it on file. She signed and dated it. I said, fine. You want to get married? I'll marry you. But I've got this in my file. Not a year had gone by. A few months, he stopped coming to church. And then all of a sudden, she's not in church. Next thing I know, she's coming. Oh, best of all, pray for us. Our marriage is in trouble. I went. I said, whose signature is that? I know I signed it. I said, I told you. And all I'm saying is, that's why the Bible tells us and warns us of these things. Not, and, and I'm just trying to help you understand. He says, be careful about these things because the heart is a deceitful thing. In Matthew 15 and 19, it says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says, The Lord does not look upon the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Listen to the words given by Jesus to John in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2, 1 through 4. He said, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested. I love this. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, say yet, <laughs> yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So he looks at all the things and he says, I know you've done this. 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 Yet, in other words, but, there's one thing I do hold against you, and that is that you've left your first love. You might have attended that church at that time and thought, this is a great church. Look at all the great things that they're doing. And they hold to the truth. And yet Jesus says, despite all these good things, I'm looking past that, and I'm looking at your heart. And he says, you've forgotten the most important thing. You're majoring on the minors <laughs> when you really need a major on the major. And the major thing is you've forgotten, you've forsaken your first love. That's what it says, forsaken, not forgotten, just forsaken. It isn't that they cast his love aside. It's that they lost the fervency of the passion they had in the beginning. He says, you've forsaken it. You've let it slip away. It's not unusual for someone who experiences Christ for the first time and experiences his love and his compassion and everything else to be excited about that, to be free. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And it would be strange that in every meeting, somebody says, who's got a testimony? And their hand goes up. I want to tell you all, I am free, free, free. And everybody's going, he's free. Well, we've heard this before. He's free. But they're excited about it. But the worst, first danger sign is when they're no longer excited about it. And we say things like, good, they're finally settling down. I had a preacher one time say, well, he said, I hope the wildfire that I've seen here burns down to steady coals of embers for Jesus. And all the cold, dead embers in the church said, Amen. They did. And the, the preacher had preached for an hour, special meeting, and not got an amen all night, except from the wildfire sitting on the floor because the front row was full. And when he saw that and heard that, he said, But I tell you, I, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. Amen. And the whole front row on the floor jumped up. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And all them people who had said amen a minute ago were hmm. just like that. Hmm. See, they, they want you to fit in. They want you to meld in and, and not rock the boat. And, and, but I'm telling you, that the newness of, of Jesus in our life cannot be forsaken. 
And the church, if it needs anything right now, it needs a fresh breath of the wind of the Spirit of God, a fresh touch and a reminder of what it was when Christ reached down into the very dregs of life and pulled us out of the pit. The Bible says, he took me out of the pit and set my feet like hinds feet on a high place. He pulled us out, folks. It's worthy to shout once in a while about that. It's good to be reminded of the goodness of God and that we didn't deserve it, we couldn't earn it, and, and, and I still don't deserve it. I'm his child. And I say, God, why'd you do it? He said, because I love you, but I don't deserve it. He said, I know it, but I still love you. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, a church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her heart or when that love grows cold. Lose love, lose all. And it's the reason the church in America has lost its impact. I've seen so many articles about how the church has fallen out of favor and lost its impact in an, an article since the election and how we, we, we've been bought out and we've sold out and all this kind of stuff. And I said, look, I'm not looking for anybody in a White House or a Capitol Rotunda or a Supreme Court to be my savior. My savior is alive and he's sitting at the right hand of his father and he's building a home for me and for all of his children. And one day there's gonna be a declaration and Twitter ain't gonna capture it and, the, and, and, and none of the social media is going to get it because in the blink of an eye, the trumpet's going to sound, brothers, sisters, and I don't know about you. You can stay behind and fix the mess if you want, but I'm going home. See, God's solution to forsaking our first love is found in verse five. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I remember years ago, and I'm closing, years ago, uh, a church had come out of a Bible study I started in high school in my mom's home. And then we had some guys, they're a little bit older than me, and, and they had gotten super spiritual and they'd been doing a study of the tabernacle and the temple. And um, they, were, they were like, oh, we're way above you, you guys. And, you know, we, and they were talking about this revelation God had given them and all this kind of stuff. And this went on for like three, four weeks. And they were kind of like, They'd sit off separate, and they used to be one, you know, they used to be part of our group, and, and, but now they were like, we're the spiritual ones, and you don't understand the revelation we have, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, my buddy Walt, who had blown his brains on LSD, and, 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 but came to Jesus, and when he started 11th grade, he had the reading level like a first grade and at the end of the, his 11th grade year, his reading level was like 10th from reading nothing but the Bible, King James Version. God had restored his mind. 
and he'd been listening to these guys bragging about their revelation on the temple and all that kind of stuff and whatever. And, and he turned around. It's the only, the only way he could do it, man. I mean, it was so awesome. And he goes, man, I don't know nothing about that stuff you're talking about. And you're talking about that great revelation you got. The only thing I want to ask you is how many people have you won to Jesus in the last four weeks since you've had this revelation? Silence. He said, that's what I thought. He said, you can keep your old revelation of your temple. He said, because ain't nobody going to heaven because you got some revelation. I'll go back out on the streets and tell them what my Jesus has done for me. See, he was doing what he was doing at the first. And you know what that does? It keeps the love fresh. It keeps the relationship fresh. Oh, you know, you know how it is. We're in a relationship. We're trying to win the affections of somebody. We go over the top. We do everything. We, we go out there, man. You know. But once that thing's been captured, you know, once we've got them, all that fresh stuff and all that stuff we used to do to try and win their affection, we're like, oh, man, I got it now. I don't need to do that stuff anymore. And guess what? The relationship loses the fire. And when the fire starts to die, come on now, you know where I'm going. He's saying you've got to compare your former state with your present state. And then you have to consider how much better was it for you then and for everybody else then compared to now. And so I'm just going to close with this last question. And that simply is this. Are you a lover of Jesus Christ or a religious prostitute? Do you follow him for what he has done? Do you follow him for what he can do? Or do you follow him for who he is? Many years ago, I heard a well-known Christian artist, singer. His name was Dallas Holm. He became famous singing in crusades for David Wilkerson. And there came a moment when his wife was seriously ill and needed a surgery. And he had been interceding before the Lord for him, for God to heal his wife. And he sent out a newsletter about asking for prayer for his wife. But the Holy Spirit spoke to him that day prior to doing so and said, Son, if you ask me, I will heal your wife right now now but if you will trust me to do things my way and that she has to go through the surgery and the recuperation and everything else he said I'll teach you and show you things about me you won't find from me healing your wife. 
It's your choice. Can you say, ouch? Wow. And I'll never forget that newsletter came out, that email came out. He's after spending time weeping and crying in prayer and sitting by his wife's bed. He talked to her and said what God had put before him. He said, honey, I love you. I, I wish it was me laying in that bed instead of you suffering about what you're going through. He said, but I have to go with Jesus on this one. We're going to trust the doctors and that God will use them, but he's trying to teach you and me something that we're not going to learn by an instant miraculous healing. And they were in agreement about that. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad I didn't have to make that choice. But can I tell you something? That if the only reason you're following Jesus is because of what he can do for you or, and what he has done for you, like he's your miracle plate card in tough times, you are... You're, you may pass go, you may go around, you know, the game board of life or whatever, but there are things that you're not going to learn about him. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet I will fear no evil. You can't know that until you walk through that valley. But we over here crying, God, get me out. Take me out, Jesus. Lord, deliver me. What did the three Hebrew young men say? Throw us in the fire. If our, our God is able to deliver, and if he does, great. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. And I'm asking, are you a lover of Jesus Christ for who he is? Blessing or not? Or are you a religious prostitute and that you sold out because God is your ace in the hole for when the tough times come. Please don't get me wrong. God wants to deliver us. God wants to pull us out, but there's just sometimes he's gonna say, I'm walking with you through this. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And when the floods overtake you, they will not take you away you will not be overwhelmed for i am with you a religious prostitute runs through the hill when trouble comes their way 
They run to the hill. Oh, he failed me. I tried him. Listen, you don't try Jesus. You follow Jesus. Jesus said, told the rich young ruler, sell all you have. Give it away and then come and follow me. You don't try Jesus like you're trying out a car. You don't try it with a 30-day guarantee. I've learned that warranties always fail the day after it runs out. But I found that Jesus never fails. Never, ever fails. So right now, right where you're at, why don't you look at your heart and let Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Has there, have, have there been times that you've been following him because of what he can do? Have there been times that you walked away, you became kind of a absentee, you know? A little absentee on your list. Now you're absent because he didn't do things the way you wanted or as fast as you wanted or the way, method you wanted or whatever. And you find yourself coming back. This is the time and the place to make it right right now. This is the time and the place that you say, Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. God, if you never bless me, you never do anything else for me. Lord, I, I know it's your heart to do that, but God, if nothing ever, 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 ever comes my way again from you, I will not turn back because God, there is no one like you. You're the one my heart adores. <laughs> and if that's you right now, You say, Jesus, here I am. Breathe fresh and new on my life. Right where you're at. However you want to right now, you respond to him. You're not responding to me. You're responding to him. I love you, Lord. I thank you for all that you have done. I didn't deserve any of it. I know it, but your love gave it to me. But God, I will not be bought. I will not be bought by this world. I will not be bought by the culture or mindset. I will not be bought out. God, I will follow you. I don't care if they threaten jail. I don't care if they threaten persecution. I don't care if they take all my belongings. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care what it costs, Jesus. I'm following you. I'm following you. I'm going after you, God. Come on, come on. Let this place become an altar of surrender right now, right where you're at. It's between you and him right now. Jesus, we're thankful. Yes, Lord. 
love you, Lord. Oh, how I love you. You are the Come on. Oh, how I love you. Come on, church. You are the one. The worship team didn't know I was preaching this. That song was God ordained for this day, for this moment. Love you, Lord. Oh, how I love, love you. you. You are the one. My, my heart adores. Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. Repent. And remember from the place where you have fallen. Repent, come back, change direction. Jesus, I Oh, how I love you. You are the Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. You are the one. How many of you in this place today know someone who... I just use the terminology, used to be on fire for the Lord, but has lost that fire. In fact, some may have just even just turned and walked away. They've just grown cold. They've, just, they've, they've been hurt, disillusioned, whatever it may be. Again, the cause is not God. It's, it's the way that they came to know God and what they were told. If you come to Jesus, he's going to solve all your problems. Oh, he will, but not the way you think. If you come to Jesus, he'll take all your problems like you're not going to have anymore. But Jesus said in this world, you'll have great tribulation. <laughs> he said, but, but be of good cheer for I've already overcome this world. See, if you only told half the truth, then you're, sought, you, 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 you're sold a bill of goods that isn't genuine and not real. And there's people out there wandering. They're hurt, disillusioned. They feel like God has let them down. And can I tell you, God didn't let them down. Many, Most of them, God didn't let down. The church let them down by selling them a false message, a false narrative. But I believe God can overrule that, that God can draw. God can use the seed of truth that was sown in them and use that to pull them back. How many of you believe God can do that? Put, put a seed in the ground. He said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed that there is, he said, it will blossom. It will grow into a mighty tree. 
How many of you believe there are seeds out there that are planted in the hearts of hurt people who have been disillusioned by the message of the church, disillusioned by someone in the church or whatever, but God's still after them. God's still after them. And if that's you, you know someone and you know you specifically right now, someone's coming to mind or maybe more than one's coming to mind right now. If you're able to do so, would you just stand right where you're at? Because you're going to stand in proxy for them and you're going to go to God for them. You're standing in, in God's name. There's seed in there. There's good seed in there. There's good seed in there. And, and God's going to burrow down and break forth and find that seed and put it in a place where it can begin to come to life because the, the life is in the seed. The life is in the seed, not the messenger. It's in the seed and seed has been planted. I want you right now, right where you're at, those of you who are standing, I want you to begin to call out their name and you tell God, Father, right now, Bring them home. Bring them to that place. Bring them to a place. Ignite that seed. Re, re, reignite that life, that fervor that used to be there one time. Come on now. Come on. Jesus, right now, we call out their name before you. And we say, Holy Spirit, go after them. Go after them with a vengeance, Lord. Like, not because you, you bringing vengeance upon their name, but God, go after them with such fervor. We ask in the name of the Lord. Father, we know the time is short and we know the enemy is drawing them even deeper away from you. But God, you are able to break through the walls and break through their life, break through the hardness of their heart, break through the hardness of their mind. And God, if it takes waking them up in the middle of the night, then wake them up and bring them to a place of realization. God, I pray for divine interventions that may come in the form of dreams or visions or individuals that cross their path that would speak a seed of life into their hearts that they might come to know you. Not the false narrative that they believe, not the false message that they were given, but that they might know you. And Father, we ask it for the glory of your kingdom and the name of your son, Jesus, be glorified through it. Oh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. I sing that chorus one more time. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one, my, my heart. Jesus, we love you. We love you. You are the one, my, 
my heart Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we If you need prayer for anything in particular, come forward and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an incredible week. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Amen. Amen.